morning, everyone. Good morning. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. I also want to acknowledge that if you did not grow up with your father, uh, God can become your father. And he is the best father that anyone could ever know. Psalm 27.10 tells us that even if my mother or father forsake me, the Lord will take care of me. And also, happy Juneteenth. Let freedom ring. Yes. So, so if you're new here, uh, don't know this face, uh, my name is Jonathan Reyes. I serve here as the associate pastor here at Fellowship Raleigh. And uh, before we just get into the message, just want to remind you that next week we're going to start a new sermon series called God Is a study through the attributes of God. And that is going to go in line with our VBS theme this week, which is called Mystery Island, tracking down the attributes of God. And we're gonna start next week talking about the, the doctrine of the Trinity. So it's gonna be good stuff. So this morning, we're gonna camp out in Galatians chapter five, verses 16 through 25. Galatians chapter five, verses 16 through 25 and I'll be expounding on the theme of walking in your identity and Paul says this but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires." For if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, in this moment, I just want to thank you for the time of singing that we just had. I thank you, Lord, for the reality of what it says in Psalm 22.3, that you dwell amongst the praises of your people. We thank you here, Lord, that your presence is evident here. And I thank you, Lord, that it is what's stirring up our hearts and softening our hearts to receive from your word this morning. So I pray in the name of Jesus that, that you would open our minds and soften our hearts to receive from you. Your word tells us that is not your word like a fire. Is it not like a hammer that pulverizes a rock? So I pray, Lord, that you would shatter stony hearts this morning, open up eyes to see the truth of the gospel, would you convict us of sin and encourage us in the Spirit this morning? I pray, Lord, that you would do what I cannot, and that is to make dead people come alive. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage your people through your word this morning so that we can live holy as you are holy. 
I can't do that, Lord, but your word can do that. So I pray that you would send forth your word to accomplish all that you want it to do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've ever seen a fish out of water, maybe you've seen it going fishing, maybe you've seen some clips on YouTube, you notice that when a fish is out of the water, it just flops around. It wiggles and it jumps all over the place. If it's out of the water, it is outside of where it's supposed to be. It is out of its intended environment. So as it flops and twists and flips and absolutely goes nowhere. So why is that? Because it's trying to be fishy in a non-water environment. No matter how much flipping and flopping it does, all it's going to do is run out of breath. The flesh, the fish will die because it's not in its home. And at times, you and I, we can flip and we can flop. We can try to do better and we can run and get out of breath and get tired because we're not living the Christian life in the right environment. For the environment for the Christian life has to be in the spirit. Now, those who know me knows I emphasize a lot the, life, uh, the role of the Holy Spirit in the Christian life. Because more often than not, there are Christians that function on two extremes. One extreme functions the spirit over the gospel. Even though Jesus himself said that when the Spirit comes, he will bear witness of me, that he will testify me, and he will glorify me. The other extreme applies to most people in uh, the conservative evangelical world that we find ourselves in, and it's that we don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. Our lives don't reflect a spirit-ledness, but it more often than not reflects theological rationalization than spirit-ledness. More often than not, we want to theologize our entire lives and make decisions rather than relying on the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit can't use that, but it's more like we just make our decisions by what does the Bible say or what do I think the Bible says. So how does this theme of walking in identity comes into play here? Well, it's because walking in your identity is vital to living the Christian life. One preacher says that when I know who I am, then I will know what to do. And if you don't know who you are as a Christian, you will not live a victorious Christian life. You will struggle with having victory over sin. And to put this passage in its context, the Galatians were people who forgot the environment they were supposed to live in. They forgot that they were supposed to live in the Spirit. The Galatians were a people who started off well, but because of the influence of false teachers that Paul calls Judaizers, they reverted back to the flesh. And this is why Paul rebukes them in chapter 3 by saying, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Meaning, who has cast a spell on you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Fellowship Raleigh, if God has begun something in you in the new birth through the gospel, which is a work of the Spirit, are you trying to perfect yourself in the flesh? Are you trying to rely on your own strength 
to accomplish what God wants to do in and through you. The main idea I want us to see in today's passage is this. Because I belong to Christ, I must walk in the Spirit. Because I belong to Christ, I must walk in the Spirit. Now, this is critical to understand because if you are in Christ, you should change the way you strive to live out the Christian life. It it changes everything. So if you're going to walk out in your identity, then number one, realize that the spirit and the flesh are opposed to each other. Realize that the spirit and the flesh are opposed to each other. Look at verses 16 through 18. It says, But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now this phrase, but I say walk by the Spirit, in the Greek grammar is written in the present active imperative. What does that mean? It it, it has the idea of a continual action, not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing thing, not a one-time act. The word walk has the idea to behave a certain way, to conduct oneself, to live out. If I can translate this myself, I would say to walk by the Spirit can be phrased that let your conduct, let your behavior be controlled and governed by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, to walk in the Spirit means to go wherever the Spirit is going, to listen to His voice, to discern His will, to follow His guidance, that your whole life be controlled or regulated by the Holy Spirit. On the flip side, Paul says that you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. To walk in the flesh is to live a life that is characterized by the flesh. Our flesh can be oftentimes characterized by flesh, by desires, by passions, which stands for having strong evil desires that are associated with bodily living. The flesh in this passage here represents our sinful nature. The flesh is the power that opposes God and enslaves human beings. The flesh is part of the human nature that does not want to submit to God. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Therefore, to be led by the spirit is to walk by the spirit. To walk by the Spirit is to have the power to deny the desires of the flesh and be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. If I can illustrate it this way, uh, some of you may know that my wife and I like to watch movies. And in particular, we like to watch Marvel movies, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And in the Marvel Universe, there's this character that goes by the name the Hulk. 
And the interesting thing about the Hulk is that he's really Dr. Bruce Banner. And Bruce Banner, in his state, human state, he's kind, he's a funny doctor, but when he gets angry, he turns into the Hulk. And if you are a Christian, then you are very similar to Bruce Banner. Because at the end of the day, we have this battle within us. We live in this flesh, but then we have the Holy Spirit, and the two are inside duking it out to see who can dominate. The Spirit wants to guide us in becoming more like Jesus Christ, but the flesh leads us in the opposite direction. We all have this raging impulse within us to do the things that God is not pleased with. And there are times where, to be practically speaking, where the Spirit will wake you up early in the morning to pray, but this flesh says this bed is too comfortable. Like you want to hit the snooze button one too many times. There are times where you are arguing with your spouse and you know you're in the wrong and you should stop and apologize, but the flesh encourages you to have the last word. You know... Maybe you've had a, a long day. You're tired. Maybe it's, you know, you're, you're a stay-at-home mom and you've been wrestling with the kids all day. Maybe you are in the workforce and it's just a long, hard day. And now you get home and you know you got to go to fellowship group. But the flesh is telling you, stay home, take your nap, you earned it. Or, matter of fact, go binge watch something on Netflix. That's a good waste of time. But the Spirit is leading you, encouraging you, prompting you to go to group knowing that you are actually going to be blessed by going. You're going to be encouraged by going. So once you realize that the two are opposed to each other, then number two, you need to identify what are the works of the flesh. You need to identify the works of the flesh. Look at verses 19 through 21. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So when Paul here says, now the works of the flesh are evident, he is communicating that these attributes, these works, these uh, characteristics are common knowledge, implying that you don't need the Bible to see that this is foolish living, that these types of attitudes, these types of way that you live your life is wrong. But what is also interesting is that these uh, works of the flesh are, can, can be categorized or divided into three areas of sin. Sexual sin, spiritual sin, and relational or social sins. You know, a good preacher has to alliterate, has to make sure everything's the same letter. Number one, so sexual sins. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Sexual immorality can be referred to any unlawful sexual intercourse, including adultery and incest. It can, be any, it can be categorized or defined as this, that any type of sexual act outside the confines of marriage. If God created sex to be, with, uh, be operated within the confine, within the covenant of marriage, that anything outside of that is a perversion. Then he says impurity. Impurity refers to the defilement 
of sexual sin, the result of being separated from God, the state of feeling unclean. And then sensuality carries the idea of lack of restraint, decency, and self-respect. It refers to an open and reckless lifestyle. Spiritual sins can be categorized by idolatry, sorcery, and enmity. Idolatry has in mind the worship of anything or anyone outside of the true and living God. Sorcery, uh, which is translated from the Greek word pharmakia, where we get the, our word today for pharmacy, this word has the connotation of witchcraft. In this context, in the context of the first century, it meant the use of any drugs, any potions, any spells of magic of any kind. And enmity refers to mankind's hostility against God. Now, this next area, relational or social sins, it can be categorized by strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies. Strife has the idea when you find it hard to get along with someone or some people. Jealousy here has the understanding of fearing the loss of something or someone to someone else. It's like uh, that spouse who is, who is jealous for their spouse. But it's that jealousy is not operated out of love, but out of fear. Fearing that it's going to be lost. Fits of anger, this is a word that just speaks for itself. It is someone who just basically has outbursts of rage. Rivalries in this context, can be translated as selfish ambition. It, it is the idea of wanting to get ahead, wanting to outperform anyone and everybody, but at the expense of other people. Dissensions refers to divisiveness in a group. It is the formations of uh, splinter groups. This, more, than, more than times, this happens in churches where there's a group of people who may be unhappy with the way the pastor is leading the church, and then they get a group of people and say, you know what, you should be our pastor, now we're going to plant a church across the street because we're unhappy. Or divisions has the idea of the development of various conflicting opinions. It refers to individuals or groups who hold their opinion so aggressively that it, it bleeds into division. It doesn't take a rocket scientist that we see this in the, in the realm of politics, but this can also be seen within the Christian subculture itself, where we can get so uh, tunnel vision, you know, that the only see and live by is our secondary and tertiary convictions, where all we want to do is argue and bicker over the things that don't really matter in regards to salvation, where we want to just argue about this position that I believe the Bible to teaching and then get so uh, uh, angry and hostile, and then that you treat your brothers and sisters in the faith with little to no regard, with no dignity. Envy speaks to the regard of another person with ill will because of what he or she may have. Maybe it's because they have a bigger house or a nicer car, or maybe they received a promotion that you thought you deserved at work. Drunkenness refers to the person dominated by alcohol and finds himself constantly engaging in drinking bouts. Like, you can see this with people who like to play beer pong. Like, this was the context that I got saved out of. From, saved out of. And orgies. Orgies, you may think, like, wait a minute, doesn't this kind of fall in line with sexual sin? But in this context, it refers to having 
wild and wasteful parties. It was not common in the first century in the Roman Empire where they would just host big, large banquets that was filled with alcohol, which then in turn led to sensuality and drunkenness and sexual immorality. The works of the flesh are the things that people do when they are controlled, when they are dominated by their sinful impulses. And when you are controlled by your sinful impulses, you will see that these type of characteristics can be manifested in your life and relationships. Growing up in the inner city, I was introduced to to ethnic superiority religious cults. That's the way I define it, like the black Hebrew Israelites. The black Hebrew Israelite movement, in a nutshell, teaches that the true people of God, that the true Lost 12 tribes of Israel are people who are part of the African diaspora. But one thing that stands out in my interactions with them is that they tend to operate out of the flesh and not the spirit. If you go down to Moore Square and you get into one conversation with them, all you're going to hear is fits of rage. You're going to see them down talking and treating people with no dignity or respect. Their evangelism tactics is characterized by enmity, by strife. And as much as they try to promote black dignity, you know their movement is not from God because the fruit that they bear is one of the flesh and not of the spirit. And Jesus said that you will know them by their fruit. Now listen, you know, we can sit here, we can feel guilty or ashamed because we can look at these works of the flesh and say, man, that looks a lot like my week this week. That, that, matter of fact, on my way to church, I, I, I had an argument with my kids or with my wife, and now I got to put on this front like I have to pretend or perform before people. And listen, there are at times when I get in, in an, I would call a heated spirited debate with my wife, and things get a little heated. And she replies back like, listen, Jonathan, you need to stop because you're, te- you're, you're, you're starting to operate out of the flesh. And then I'll respond like, listen, woman, you know that's never going to go well when you respond that way. Say, listen, have I become your enemy because I've told you the truth? And you know that it's not really going to go well, even if you're telling the truth. And the, the, the whole result is because you just want to have the last word. Or I shared this a while back that there was this time where uh, about 10 years ago, I was working at a call center for Rooms to Go. And uh, my job was to, to survey people, call, call everyone after they got a delivery, like, hey, you know, my name is Jonathan. I'm calling from Rooms to Go. I just, I'm just calling to see how your delivery went. And every, for this, in this particular day, I kid you not, every call was a problem, whether it's about our delivery people or the furniture that arrived as some sort of nick or the legs were broken or there was a scratch somewhere. And you can imagine these people, they're just taking their anger and frustration out on me. And this is in a time where I'm, I'm a new Christian. I've I, I just been saved for about a year and a half. I'm that guy who goes to the workplace with a thick ESV study Bible. I wear t-shirts that say sin is whack. Like, it's clear. Like, I'm on fire for God. Like, you won't get this gospel if you talk to me. Like, that, that was the energy that I was bringing to the workplace. And everybody knew, I was like, oh, this guy sold out for Jesus. We can, we, there's no lie about that. But on this particular action, I, 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 I just had enough. And the woman on the phone, she's yelling at me. I said, okay, man, let me see what I can do for you, man. Please put you on hold. Hold. I let about a few F-bombs out of frustration come out. And then 
I, I kid you not, the girl who's sitting next to me, Natasha, taps me on the shoulder. She's like, mm-mm, Jonathan, not you. Mm-mm. You, I can do that, not you. You, you a real Christian. You Holy Ghost sanctified Christian. No, 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 I can do that. You're the light around here. Like, God had to use a non-believer to rebuke me for reacting in the flesh in that moment. Like, like I was taken aback. I was like, oh, man. I'm at, I actually see that people are actually watching how I'm living right now, that they're calling me out on my sin. So if I ask your spouse, your children, your coworkers, your friends, will they say that these qualities, these works of the flesh are evident in your life? Will they say that it is normal for you to have bouts of anger? Would they say it's normal for you to be divisive? to spread rumors of people, to slander people, to be perverted with your speech and your jokes. Now understand that we fail in these areas. And at any given time, when you're not walking in step with the Spirit, one of these things can come out in your, in your walk. It's a reality. Because as long as we're on this side of heaven, we're, always going, we're living in the flesh, but we're Spirit-led people. And the old man will come out at times. But maybe you're sitting here and you're like, man, this is my life. Like, what you're talking about, this is me. And this whole time, I thought I belonged to Jesus. And now you're coming to the realization, like, maybe I don't know Jesus at all. And I just want to let you know that you can call out to Jesus. That can change. You can receive new life in Jesus Christ by turning from your sin and calling out to him. So if you're going to recognize the war within you, you need to recognize that the works of the flesh, you need to work, recognize that the spirit and the flesh are opposed to each other. You need to identify the works of the flesh. But number three, you need to recognize that the spirit enables you to bear the fruit of the spirit. Look at verses 20 through, 22 to 25. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So number one, what you see here, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit. Notice that it says fruit, not fruits. One word. Paul is not speaking about a a series of actions or fruits or uh, characteristics that can be shared with one believer, that one believer can have patience, can have love, but can lack in faithfulness. What Paul has in mind is that he's speaking about a a cluster. He's talking about a, a fruit basket, if you will, where all of these characteristics can be manifested in the life of the believer. Now, Also, observation here, notice that Paul doesn't say, but the works of the Spirit are. He says the fruit of the Spirit. It's a contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Why is that? According to one of my favorite preachers, John Piper, he says this, In view of what we have seen so far, I think the reason is that Paul wants to avoid giving any impression that what the Spirit produces is our work. It's not our work. It's His 
fruit. One of my favorite Christian rappers, KB, says it like this. It is only in the Christian life where we are responsible for all of our uh, mistakes, but we are not responsible for any of our good outcomes. That is all that is an act of grace. I am what I am, Paul says, by the grace of God. But then Paul says, so what is the fruit of the Spirit? He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love. This, can be, this is translated from our Greek word agape. And love is what summarizes the Christian life. We love ultimately because God loved us first. And the love that the Spirit produces within us, that the love that He cultivates in us is a supernatural love. It is a love that we can have to even the people who've done us dirty, people who've wronged us. I tend to see this being that today is Juneteenth. I see through the writings of Frederick Douglass how there were slaves who were Christians and how they had the ability to love and be patient to the very slave masters who mistreated them and abused them, yet they still had this love, and that is a love that can only come from the Holy Spirit. Joy. Joy is the supernatural delight in God. It's a supernatural delight which leads you to have uh, hope in God that God is going to work all things out and that he's going to work to get, work all things for your good. Peace is the supernatural assurance that God is going to work things out. That he's going to give you a peace that even though things are going the way you think they, may, they should go, it's a reminder that God is still good in the midst of our circumstances. Uh, to give you an example of this, uh, a few weeks ago I had, um, I would call an episode with Valvoline, with, uh, with my wife's Tiguan. I took it in for a standard oil change, and uh, I took it, you know, Standard 5,000 miles, you know. But, but when I got home, and this was a Valvoline, five minutes from my house, my car started to stall. So I was like, hmm, something's wrong here. Let me take it to the mechanic who specializes in Volkswagen in German. So when I take it there, uh, I drop the car off. A few hours later, the, the shop manager calls me. He was like, hey, I need you to come back ASAP because we're not going to touch your car. You need to see what the people at Valvoline did to your car. I was like, what are you talking about? And, you know, I get there, and it's like, hey, we were just going to tell you that you needed oil. And then we checked the Carfax and saw that 10 miles ago that you just got an oil change. So then they opened up the hood, showed me how the filter was messed up and how it messed up my water pump and all of that. And I, you can imagine I was frustrated. Um, I, I, you know, I had restraint. So then I said, you know what? I'm just going to call Valvoline. I'm going to send them the estimate. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to continue to pray that Valvoline pays for all the damages. They, they, it was like $4,000 worth of damages according to the estimate. So during that time, I'm just praying every day and calling. Hey, what's the status? What's the status? So after a week and a half of my wife's car sitting in this shop, Valvoline says, yeah, we checked the cameras. We're only liable for like $600 of the repair. We're only going to cover that. We don't know what you're going to do, brother. I said, do you approve of this? I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm going to do this. So then, in frustration, the Lord convicts me and says, hey, there's a guy at your church who may know someone. So then I reach out to Josh McCauley and said, hey, Josh, do you know anyone who works and specializes with Volkswagen? He was like, yeah, my old buddy, Joel, who I worked with him at CarMax, he works on Volkswagen all the time. I'm going to call him and he'll reach out to you. 
He called me, he said, bring your car out, if you can, on a tow truck to Hillsboro, I'll work on it, and I'll probably do it for a fraction of the cost. So then, you know, I got a call for a tow truck, and that's more money out of your pocket, and then we'll get there. He calls me the next day, say, hey, I worked on your car, uh, just give me $700. said, okay, oh man, praise God for that. But here, here's the kicker. This is why, I, you know, God is so good, and he was giving me peace all along. I got home that week with two checks randomly in the mail, one for my, with my wife's name and another one from my name for a Facebook lawsuit, class action lawsuit claim for biometrics. I don't know what it is. All I know is that three years ago, I just filled one of these things out because you may get money. And then this week, I kid you not, I got 800 bucks in the mail. So that $800 covered the tow truck and covered the work on the car, and I didn't have to come a dime out of pocket, including with what uh, Valvoline gave us as well. So in that time, all I knew, Matt knows this, I was like, hey, yeah, it's not working out, but I don't know. God's going to work it out. I just don't know how. He, God was giving me a supernatural peace that he was going to work it out on our behalf. I just needed to trust him. So then Paul says that the, spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience. Patience is knowing how to wait on God with a good attitude. That's the kicker right there. Knowing how to wait on God with a good attitude. Knowing that he's going to work it out. Kindness. I like the way Chuck Swindoll defines it. He says, kindness is a language that deaf people can hear and blind people can see. Kindness is doing loving things for people. Goodness. Goodness here can also be translated as generous. It has the idea of seeking the good, seeking the well-being of other people. Faithfulness here can be translated as someone who's reliable, someone who's trustworthy, someone who, who you know is not going to drop the ball. So it, we get this because we, our God is faithful. We know that our God can be trusted. Gentleness. Gentleness here implies a submissive and teachable spirit toward God that manifests itself in genuine humility and consideration towards others. And the last one, self-control. Self-control is the mastery over your desires and passions. It's being able to say no to something you shouldn't do and saying yes to something you should do even when you're tempted not to. What I usually try to tell people is that with self-control, it's like when you go and you say, you know what, I'm going to buy this Kit Kat bar, I'm hungry, but then you realize the Holy Ghost convicts you and say, you're supposed to be fasting or you're supposed to be on a diet. So you say, you know what, I'm just going to have one and not these four sticks. If you can eat one Kit Kat bar and not eat the other three, you are exhibiting self-control. If you can say no to after eating one of that, that chocolate goodness, you can say no, you are exhibiting self-control. So when we are walking in our identity, our lives are going to be characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. We need the Spirit to live out this. This is not something we can live out on by our own strength. Without the Spirit working in us, you are going to be walking and exhibiting the works of the flesh. We need the Spirit's fullness to live this out. If I can just paint this picture to you, um, when, when you travel somewhere on an airplane and you go to an airplane, you, you see this even at RDU Airport, it, it has what they call a moving sidewalk. 
And the moving sidewalk allows travelers to get around the airport a little faster than they would by walking around by their own power. The travelers can now walk on this moving sidewalk, but they're now able to do so with ease because they have this power underneath propelling them forward. So, and, and it's the same way when you're walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit implies that Christians are on the move. That Christians are not sitting down, that we're not sitting down idly, passively waiting for God to move, that we're actively walking. We're actively moving, but walking with the Spirit helping us, directing us, governing us, and getting us to our destination, which is heaven. When your life is controlled by the Spirit, those around you will notice. Maybe you'll be that person in the workplace that, that someone comes to you and say, listen, I don't know what you have, but I want whatever you have. Maybe when you walk in your identity, when you're walking in the Spirit, your children won't be afraid to confess their mistakes and their sin because they know that you're going to respond in a gentle way. When you walk in your identity, your spouse will not be afraid to share harsh truths and critique you because they know you. They know that because of the Spirit, you won't be defensive, but that you will respond in a gentle way, that you're going to respond with grace. When you walk in your identity, when you're walking in the Spirit, your coworkers will know you as a person who's trustworthy, a person who's reliable, a person that follows through and does not drop the ball. When you're truly walking in the Spirit, you don't have to worry about your life being a hindrance to the lost world. You don't have to worry about offending people. You, the, the gospel itself offends. We should not offend people. And when you are walking in the Spirit, your life is just going to bear witness the truth of the gospel, that the gospel truly transforms lives. When you are walking in your identity, you're not going to be controlled by the passions of your flesh, but by the, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to have you're going to have the power and ability to master them and say no. So, how do we walk in the Spirit? It's the question of the day. Is that I know I need to walk by the Spirit, but how? How do I walk by the Spirit? Walking in the Spirit means that it's not an option. You need to have intentional times of prayer. And when I say prayer, I'm talking, I'm going to define it more clearly. I'm speaking about intimacy with God. Cultivating intimacy is the key. Jesus said that when we abide in him and him and us, it is only then that we can bear good fruit. For without him, we can do nothing. Just imagine if you're married, what your relationship with your spouse would be if you were to treat your relationship with them as a chore as a task to just get done, rather than cultivating intimacy. When we begin to cultivate intimacy with God, things will change. Because this is something I noticed in my own life. I shared this with Matt earlier this week. I said, listen, bro, I woke up with a migraine today, but before our meeting, I need to have a quiet time. I need to because if I don't have intentional intimacy with God, I am easily and prone to be irritable, I am easily frustrated. I, am, uh, I, I, can, I will give myself to the flesh if I do not have intimacy with God. 
Walking by the Spirit can only be unlocked when you have intimacy with God. So to conclude, learning to walk in the Spirit is similar to like a baby learning how to walk. At first, it can be awkward, it can be a little wobbly. When a baby has been crawling for a while, it takes some time for, for the child to de- develop a level of comfort and strength needed to walk well. Falls will happen frequently, and the process is not going to go smooth. But sooner or later, the baby is going to discover the ability to walk, and that this ability to walk is going to get the child faster to where they want to go than what it can do by crawling. And the Christian life is a battle. And more often than we like to admit, we lose some of those battles. But the good news is that if you are in Jesus Christ, your victory has already been purchased. Your victory has been purchased by Christ at the cross. In Christ and because of Christ, we can live victoriously over sin. It is because of Jesus, because of the gospel, that when we fall, we can humbly approach his throne of grace, knowing that we will receive mercy. Knowing, and because of that, the mercy that we receive, the forgiveness we receive, we can then humble ourselves and say, I'm sorry to my child, or I'm sorry to my spouse, or I'm sorry to whoever I offended, because we have been forgiven by Christ. And if you are here today, and you don't know who you are, maybe you're, you're realizing, I, I, I've never truly trusted in Christ. I urge you to turn from your sin, call out to Jesus, receive him. Or maybe you're here and you're just feeling convicted. You're like, man, I have not had intimacy with God. I have not walked by the Spirit. I have, I've been living my Christian life in the flesh and I'm tired. Listen, there's grace. Jesus spilt blood where he knew you would trip. That's not my line. I got that from someone else. He spilt blood where he knew you were going to fall. Because Jesus was punished for our sin. He took our penalty. You don't have to feel condemned because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus was bruised, he was, he was beaten, and he ultimately died on a Friday. But early on Sunday morning, he rose. He got up from the grave, demonstrated that he was the Son of God, demonstrated that he is who he said he was. And because Jesus rose from the dead, we can take at face value what the scriptures say. We can believe and know that God is trustworthy. We can believe that all his promises are yes and amen because of Jesus. We know that we can grow in this area because Jesus called us to, because Jesus will give us the strength. So remember, because you belong to Jesus, or better yet, if you belong to Jesus, then you must walk in the Spirit. Let's pray.